All right, welcome back to this week's episode of the Movie Bible Podcast. This week, you've got myself, I'm joined by Brennan, and we're talking about movies. Uh, so it was funny, we talked about last week how Tenet had been delayed indefinitely. Uh, Nick was glad that we're not going to have to talk about it every week anymore. And then lo and behold, it has been undelayed indefinitely. Uh, so it's been technically rescheduled again. Stateside, it's supposed to open up on september the 3rd uh which is after labor day weekend um so kind of still getting the holiday boost uh but it'll be really interesting because labor day weekend is typically a small weekend for movies um that's quite honestly it's normally the the deadest uh weekend of the year traffic wise so it's interesting that they would pick that weekend but with movies having been closed for so long and people just thirsty for content and thirsty for tenant um, I feel like weirdly they could turn this into a successful weekend, even though it never really has been in the past. Yeah. So um, you look at that weekend there specifically, I think that it's, it's a good buffer zone uh, end of the summer. Uh, I think it's pretty smart. Just it, it's, it's going to be different obviously, because as you said, it's usually a quiet weekend at the box office. It's usually uh, kind of just getting ready to end the summer, head back to school. Um, some places obviously in the States are in school by that point. Uh, but it's, it's, it's going to be different this year around with Tenet there. And I think that uh, I saw reports today saying that around 80% of uh, U.S. theaters will be open for that weekend. So that is pretty huge. They wanted that and they got that. Um, for me specifically up in Canada, a lot of the rest of the country had uh, theaters open in late June, early July. Um, but due to my close proximity to Toronto, a major city center, it was held off until uh actually two days ago so my local theater did reopen and all the theaters in this area have um capacities capped uh at, at 50 people per room depending on the size of the the theater if it's a really tiny theater they just space out a couple of seats in between the imax which seats nearly 300 is only sitting 50 um but I think that's that's a smart and safe way to go about it. And I looked at the slate of what's playing right now, and it's it's a bunch of classics. You got uh, stuff ranging from Harry Potter to Dirty Dancing to Jurassic Park to Jaws to Pulp Fiction, Lord of the Rings. Um, a couple new stuff. I, I <laughs> Trolls World Tour is playing, <laughs> um, but <laughs> that's what they have running now until I guess Tenet comes out, and then actually uh, SpongeBob, the, the SpongeBob film is coming out also uh, mid-August uh, as well. So it's great to see theaters back open right now. I'm still a little bit cautious. I'm going to wait a little bit before I check it out. But uh, we're definitely here uh, taking a step in the right direction. Yeah, and it'll be interesting because we've completely eclipsed the summer blockbuster season at this point. Uh, so, you know, normally it starts in probably about late April, uh, typically with an Avengers movie. Um, and then it goes on through probably about mid-August, uh, but movie theaters have been shut down during that entire period. Uh, so Mulan would have originally been kind of the first big blockbuster of the summer starting in late March, uh, this this past March. And, and now we're in August, <laughs> not getting tenant until end of the month or September 3rd if you're living in the United States. Um, so it'll be interesting to see like how a blockbuster works outside of blockbuster season. Um, and especially with, you know, schools just being as up in the air as they are right now as well. Like, will that increase more traffic because kids aren't in class all day? Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily think tenants going to be a big family draw, um, but it might give parents some more freedom to go during the day or how's it going to work without uh, the summer season here to kind of encourage people to already be out of, out and about. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, you know, um, 
what we're what we're looking at too with Tenet is it, it's going to be kind of experimental, but they have no other options, no other route. And as you said, the summer movie season has been completely eclipsed globally. I saw a report. I know that the Asian box office is quite um, important, and I saw a report the other day that said um, uh, the first half of the year that they had ninety two percent decrease from last year at the uh, box office, just overall intake, which is pretty bad. I know um, Tenet needs those China numbers. That's major. And they got the approval to, to open up in China. So that's huge for them. Um, and, and obviously, a lot of uh, countries in Asia have, have, they're not done with COVID, but they have come down. Uh, their, their curves have been uh, dropping substantially over the last few months, especially countries like South Korea and Japan. They have looked very good, and they'll be ready to have Tenet open up on August 26th, actually. Um, so so just looking at it right now, you have 70 countries on August 26th where Tenet is set to come out. This feels like the most legit um, confirmation from Warner Bros. since the original, I don't know, even the original uh, release date of July 17 was a little bit shaky because they ended up taking the release date off one of those posters or trailers or something. Um, but this seems decently concrete. You look at the numbers and the statistics, it seems like there is a real shot for this to happen. Um, but, you know, we got to be cautious because you never know what's going to happen. It, it, it's still about a month to go until then and anything could happen in a month. Yeah, I think so. And I think what I'm looking forward to most about Tenet finally releasing is no more people just saying, well, just release it online already, uh, which, I mean, at this point, we're seeing for pretty much every blockbuster. So I, I will like not having to see those tweets in my thread constantly. Yeah, you know, and this is a movie that definitely, I mean, they're holding out so long because because uh, they, it needs to be seen in theaters, this type of movie, right? Like it's 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 grand, it's it's huge, it's epic, and Nolan's not going to settle for uh, an online release. And I'm sure many directors probably wouldn't wouldn't want uh, their films to to that many directors that would want to have that theatrical experience would be against having uh, an online release. Yeah, and the the studio is not going to drop a movie like this on demand just because of how much money's been put into it so you know this is uh the, one of the largest <laughs> independent uh when i say independent in the sense that it's not part of a franchise original uh high concept blockbusters in a long time um and they're not going to drop a 200 200 million dollar movie on a streaming service where they're going to get it just dismal returns compared to what you get selling ticket per ticket in the theater Definitely. And I actually remember, um, because there is a decent debate between um, what should go on demand, what should hold off until they go to theaters. And I, I, it's uh, slipped my mind now, but there was a director who had come out and actually spoke about how he was upset that one of his movies was shifting to on demand that was supposed to come out uh, in theaters. I really forget who it was, though. Um, I'll, I'll look into that, but it, it wasn't a big uh, scale film. It was it was kind of an indie movie but he was upset that they um uh optioned for that the studio optioned for the uh digital route i'll look into that but i mean it's an interesting uh conversation to be had for sure especially with uh covid yeah so it's it's definitely going to be interesting especially if tenant ends up moving again uh which i think they're going to be pretty firm on this date um just having pushed it off so much but at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if they did have to shift it in some markets, particularly domestically, um, just because of concerns with COVID. 
Um, so it's it's definitely an interesting thing to continue to talk about week to week because it's always different. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the, the big thing is um, the main reason I think they will try to hold firm here is despite COVID not being eradicated completely, obviously, um, theaters have been closed now for half a year. I think a little over or a little around six months theaters have been closed. And by the time Tenet comes out, it will be a firm kind of half a year that theaters have been closed. It's very, very rough for the industry. And I mean, all of the economy is taking a pretty major hit because of this, but uh, it's it's tough. And they do want to hold firm to that slot, and they do want to make sure that this is it. They can get this film out at that point, and they can try to uh, um, save themselves, if you will. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing with theaters is, you know, a lot of industries, um, you know, went into shutdown, but didn't have to just completely shut down. Uh, whereas something like a movie theater when you're talking about just the theater chains, you know, if you can't have people in the building, you aren't making money in any capacity. You don't really have anything to sell. Um, I know AMC has like their on-demand streaming service that they're probably seeing some revenues from. Um, but I mean, these are companies that haven't been able to pull a dollar in since March and in looking at the worldwide box office really since January or February. Um, yeah. So it's, it's definitely something that they need to get their doors open if they want to continue to keep them open. No, for sure. And it's it, it's going to be rough. I mean, we're going to see the ramifications for this for a while. I know that obviously, as you alluded to, there are some uh, chains, major chains that have their own streaming services. I know that uh, some of the local theaters here also do that. But one of the funnier things I saw was uh, one of the theaters in my town was actually um, during the during the lockdown. I think uh, they went down mid-March. I think by mid-April, they were selling their popcorn on uh, Uber Eats. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know some local theaters here were doing that as well, just to keep open. And I mean, really, the the drive-ins have really thrived in this, but for sure, everyone else is hurting. Yeah, but uh, that's that's enough depression for now. I think <laughs> um, we'll move on to the Netflix top ten, uh, which is actually pretty consistent with where it was at last week. Nothing here that was just too surprising. Uh, the Kissing Booth two still in the number one spot. Uh, which is funny because I, I haven't really seen anybody review this with more than one star, uh, but apparently a lot of people are watching it. And then Animal Crackers in the number two spot, Zookeeper at number three, Rogue Warrior the Hunt at number four, Latte in the Magic Waterstone at number five, The Old Guard at number six, uh, Seriously Single at number seven, Tread at number eight, The Original Kissing Booth at number nine, and The Lorax at number ten. Uh, so I think a couple interesting things. One, Despicable Me, not on the list, but the Lorax is. And, you know, th those two are normally always on the list. Uh, so it's just interesting to see the Lorax move ahead this week, but not Despicable Me. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, the Kissing Booth is apparently pretty popular. It's been working pretty well for Netflix, um, even though nobody seems to really care for it. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Number one right now, Trending Kissing Booth. Two, number nine, The Kissing Booth. Two weeks ago or so, I, I looked on the upcoming uh, schedule calendar and I saw that Kissing Booth 2 was coming out. So I, I, I implored myself and I watched the first one. Uh, not good. Not good at all. And the second one's really on par with the first one. Um, but there's weirdly this this following on online uh, that, that, that really likes it. I don't know what the demographic would be, but I, I see... Um, I see from time to time, it's, it's hard to find, but you'll find it on Twitter from time to time, people who are just in love with this thing. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the cheesiness. Maybe it's 
the fact that it's it's it, maybe they're young teenage girls who knows but um it's just not not very good and the way this second one ended off there there will be a third one as well <laughs> and uh <laughs> netflix um i mean it, it's big for them right like th- these this is one of their bigger properties um a very similar franchise to me is netflix's other one to all the boys um I love before I believe is is what it's uh, titled. I actually didn't mind the first movie there, and the second one I thought was okay too. Um, but this is kind of like the really bad version of that. So while that franchise is okay, this one's just just really bad. Yeah, I, it's it's just sad looking at all the reviews on Letterboxd. Um, they're just they're all one stars. Why did I watch this? This was too <laughs> long. Um, just. Just bad vibes coming off of the kissing booth too. Oh, it was ridiculously long. I mean, the first one was I think one forty-five, which for a movie like this, um, that's pretty much the cap that I would say is reasonable. Uh, a movie like this should be ninety-five minutes. Um, but then I looked at the uh, runtime of the second one there, and it was uh, one hundred and thirty-five minutes or something like that, and I was just shocked. So I sit down; it's a little over two hours and ten minutes. Like this is just ridiculous, and it, it, it. it 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 you could feel it for sure, but at least I uh, I ordered some food and I ate it while I watched. So like it's the, when I do that, I, I don't feel as awful watching a uh, painfully long uh, bad movie. But uh, it, it it wasn't uh, pleasurable. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my favorite review on Letterboxd is just a list. It says movies the kissing booth two is longer than. And it's longer than all of the following movies. Rear Window, Twelve Angry Men, Sunset Boulevard, Good Will Hunting, Sing in the Rain, To Kill a Mockingbird, Moonlight, Lady Bird, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Whiplash, The Empire Strikes Back, Her, The Social Network, La La Land, Dunkirk, Nightcrawler, Do the Right Thing, Spotlight, The Favorite, and Gravity. Um, <laughs> just why? Like, why would it need to be longer than any of these movies? <laughs> no, that's just... Yeah, it's... It... I don't know. Like that that's baffling. That's a good review right there. That's a good good uh, letterbox to a bit. Yeah. Uh so yeah, I, I I don't really plan on ever visiting any of the three kissing booth movies. I know Nick is a big fan of it, but uh <laughs> it's not for me. I'll 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 second that with you there. I mean, I checked them out, but uh they are uh, abysmal. Yeah, I mean Honestly, I'm I'm just not really excited about much of Netflix's top ten this week. There's just not really a lot going on. Um, I mean, you do have Zookeeper in there, which is I have like really vague memories of watching that when it came out. Um, you know, almost ten years ago. Uh, but that's just kind of a surprise to see back at the top. You know, it's no Paul Blart, but I, I do like Kevin James, so respect for that. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. It's it's no Paul Blart. That's a that's elite tier, uh, Kevin James right there. <laughs> um, but then it's it is interesting to see the old guard, which is just really strongly stuck out in the top ten for Netflix. Um, and it's just been like a massive movie for them. Uh, also, it is shorter than The Kissing Booth too, which again doesn't make sense. Um, but Netflix is really milking the old guard pretty pretty hard. Yeah, for sure. And have you have you checked it out? Uh, I haven't gotten around to it yet. No, no, I haven't either. But Nick uh, said it was a good time, and it's definitely building for uh, for some sort of franchise. Uh, so I I will check it out at some point. I just I don't know. I just haven't really uh, had had the time or the I guess over uh, overly urge urging feeling to sit down and watch uh, this. I kind of want to watch Extraction first because I still 
Um, I still haven't uh, checked that one out from a few months ago, but uh, they're definitely on my list. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's something where I I just don't have the draw to go watch it right away. You know, I've got a lot of like must see movies that I'm trying to cross off my list list, and that I've been using most of this COVID shutdown to get through. And uh, you know, some new content makes it on, but some of it I'll just put off and add to the bottom of the list. Yeah, yeah. So um, you're right. I think, and and even for me, I think I. Um, even for me, like the last few months, uh, I, I was kind of following a list of, of what, what I needed to check out. But these last few weeks, I've kind of just, I haven't gotten bored with the list, but I've, I've kind of just went off and I decide kind of right on the spot. And that's kind of been fun for me. But uh, um, yeah, maybe I'll get into get into some sort of uh, routine for August because I do, there are some franchises I want to go revisit and check out. Um one of them, actually, I'm in the middle of uh, watching right now. We'll we'll touch on that later on in the uh, on the podcast. Yeah, so so that's Netflix's top ten this week. Um, not a lot of exciting stuff going on. Hopefully, we'll see Despicable Me uh, carrying it again next week. But for now, it's pretty quiet. And then uh, there were actually a handful of new releases this past weekend. Um, I don't know if you got around to any of them, but I did check out Yes, God, Yes, uh, which was just a really good watch. Um, You know, I like it. It's only an hour and 18 minutes long, so it's not a kissing booth. It's a light commitment, Um, but it really explores like the world of Catholic schools and or or just private schools in general, even um, and how. Uh, teens are talked to about sex and just like the the it sounds really cliche but like the transition of of puberty into becoming an adult and like how do you deal with all these feelings and urges and all the the ickiness out in the world amidst all of that Uh, but i thought it was just like a really sincere really awkward like coming of age movie Um, i thought natalia dyer who's in stranger things um, just did a terrific job with the material and again, it's under an hour and a half, so that's always delightful. And it's just a it's just a fun commentary on just kind of this environment. Yeah. So um, Nick, uh, I forget if you mentioned it, but Nick did check this out too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nick. Nick and I both really enjoy this, from what I understand of his review. Yeah. No, for sure. And this is something that uh, is uh, on demand. Yeah, so this, um, it's not on a streaming service, uh, but it can be rented. I watched it on Amazon. I think it was like six bucks, or you can buy it for nine. Uh, so it's a pretty good deal. It's not at that uh, that $20 rental, which a lot of new releases have been at in the mm-hmm. wake of everything. Um, so it's it's not a big financial commitment either. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I'm I've been waiting actually with a lot of those uh, a lot of those twenty dollar ones because I feel like um, you you wait a couple months and they'll probably drop down to the regular price. Like Scoob is one that I'm still waiting on to drop down. Um, have you gone back and visit revisited that at all? No, it's on HBO Max, so it's just kind of dangling in front of me. Okay. But based on everything I've heard about it, it's like it's definitely going to be a rainy day movie. Yeah, something that I'm not really in a rush to get into. Right. Yeah. Another one that actually I, I do still want to check out is Capone. I remember that came out. I think it came out at, at kind of a reasonable price, but I have a streaming service called Canopy through my uh, local library. And actually they, they put it up there like a week or two ago for free. So that's another one of those uh, on demands from a few months ago that I'm definitely going to be checking out soon. 
Yeah, I definitely recommend Yes, God, Yes. Um, I think it's just, it's a sincere delight is probably the best way to put it. Yeah, no, fantastic. I'll uh, I'll be sure to definitely check it out as I do want to try to watch more 2020 movies that aren't uh, Kissing Booth too. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's something that I, uh, I haven't been as good at um, is just keeping up with 2020 movies since the theater's gone, kind of the allure is there. And instead of just like watching new content, I'm like, I should catch up on old stuff. So my, uh, my 2020 films list is is still pretty small. I want to want to beef that up a little bit. Yeah, I think I just actually eclipsed uh, 40, the 40 mark in terms of 2020 movies, which considering like all things considered, I think is actually not too bad. Um, a lot of them have been obviously uh, Netflix uh, movies over the last few months, but I'm, I'm, I'm not too upset with that number. I know that you uh hit up sundance right early in the year so you you're probably a little bit ahead in that respect i'm actually only 32 so far and the majority of those have been sundance movies (laughs) Mm -hmm. but my uh my first time watch list which is just stuff that didn't release this year but that i saw for the first time is already up to 90 and by the end of the year last year it was only up to 55 so i'm i'm still putting in work on that front yeah, no, it's 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 been a good year. I, I kept track last year and the year before of just how many movies I watched, period. And I think last year I, I finished up around 280, and that's just not – that's not new movies. That's just everything. So movies, um, 2020s, old movies I've seen that I've rewatched, stuff like that, just a, a watch in general. And I think I was around 270 or 280. I'm already past that now. I think I'm near 300 total. So uh, COVID has really uh, – made an impact uh, on that list yeah so it's it's definitely thrown my numbers off but i've still gotten a lot in which i'm thankful for yeah fantastic no for sure but uh yeah that's new stuff coming out um we'll have american pickle uh at the end of this week which i'm excited to watch um am disappointed that seth rogan does not look like an actual pickle uh <laughs> but you know uh <laughs> But again, I have been uh, streaming stuff and watching new stuff, and I know you've been doing the same and have been working through a trilogy of your own. So uh, if you want to talk about that, we can jump into what we've been watching. Yeah, no, for sure. So um, I started off uh, two nights ago. It's the Three Colors trilogy, um, French, uh, Polish uh, kind of films. Um, came out in the mid-'90s. Um, so the first one, Three Colors Blue, is pretty much all French. Uh, and actually it's weird because the second movie doesn't really follow the first one at all. I, I presume, I think just from what I've heard about the third one, which I haven't seen yet, they cross over, but, uh, the second movie, there's only kind of one scene that, that shows that these two movies connect. However, I did really enjoy, uh, blue. It's, I think it's a very experimental, um, kind of artistic movie i really liked it a lot i think it's a movie that i'll like more on on future watches because i really had no idea what like besides knowing that these are some of the most kind of revered uh foreign films uh, in history i didn't really know too much about what what they were about at all um so i had a great time with the first one the second one was kind of like a interesting um interesting film because it wasn't as artistic or as um as daring as the first one but it definitely had a much more easy to follow or, or more engaging plot, I'd say. Um, the second one, Three Colors White. Uh, that one, however, felt kind of like a 
long uh, Black Mirror episode. Um, so that's that's kind of a it's it's a little bit entertaining in that respect. But I'm definitely looking forward to uh, the third one and seeing where they cross over. Yeah, that's something that I'm not very familiar with, um, but I do understand the reverence and it's it's all over. Anytime somebody's talking about the Criterion Collection. Uh, the Three Colors trilogy comes up pretty often. So it's definitely something I want to dive into at some point. Yeah, no, it's good. And it's good. I mean, the first one, I think, is um, they all kind of have a different theme um, as well, which is which is interesting. And and um, the first one was was very a little bit more emotional than the second one. But I, I liked it a lot. There was a lot of existential stuff in uh, the first one, which is always uh, interesting to watch on screen. Um, really good music, um, that played throughout it. Uh, but overall I really did enjoy the first one. The second one I didn't personally enjoy as much, but I know some people that, uh, that like, uh, white more than blue. I think red is, is known to be quite good, but, um, uh, I think I'm going to be checking that out tonight. Yeah, it's, it's definitely something that I'm, I'm glad to, uh, to know someone who's checking it out so I can understand a little bit more about it before I, I jump in. For sure. Um, and then I uh, actually watched two kind of big movies that I hadn't seen before this weekend. So I did American Psycho uh, the other night, and then I did The Last Temptation of Christ last night. And American Psycho I wasn't too crazy about. Um, I feel like it, it weirdly has some more social relevance right now. Um, than it does in when it actually came out, uh, just because Donald Trump is a big figure in the book and even in the movie. Um, so I find that really interesting <laughs> that this kind of critique on him as a person was coming out 20 years before he kind of became the leader of the free world. Uh, but just for the movie itself, um, I just didn't attach to it uh, tremendously. But then uh, Martin Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ was just – uh, when Marvin Schwartz says what a picture in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that was just how I feel about uh, this movie. Um, it's just this really honest look at like the character of Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's a very controversial film. Uh, when this movie came out in 1989, I believe, or 1988, uh, some movie theaters were burned down for showing it. Uh, Scorsese had to have bodyguards for a couple years um, just because the reaction to this movie was just incredibly controversial. Um, it was just an uproar, especially within the Catholic community. The book it was based on was actually banned by the Catholic Church uh, for quite a while. Um, but I think it's just this really honest exploration of Jesus and like the, the temptation that he went through and and the trials of his life and what it meant to be. Uh, part man and part God. And and honestly, as someone who grew up watching a lot of, you know, like those cheesy Christian movies, I think this was probably the best portrayal I've ever seen of that character just because of how honest and kind of introspective it is to, to what his life meant to himself and to other people. Yeah, this is one that I'm definitely going to watch at some point. Um, that's crazy, though. I knew that it was quite controversial, but I didn't know it, lead, it had to lead to him getting bodyguards and, and theaters getting burned down. I do know, however, that it was banned in several countries um, overseas whenever it first came out. I think one of them being Singapore. I forget a few other ones, but this was banned in several countries back in the day. And I think it's still banned in one country still to this day. Um, 
but yeah, that's a that's a very interesting uh, point, and I am looking forward to watching this. Uh, Willem Dafoe is the lead, right? Yeah, Willem Dafoe. Uh, David Bowie's actually in the movie. Hmm. Um, it, it just, I mean, he's maybe in like two or three minutes of the movie, but he has a really good scene. Um, and yeah, Willem Dafoe just, I mean, is just, you know, I grew up with him as the Green Goblin, and I think I think you did the same. And a lot of times, it's hard for me to to see beyond that. Um, what I see him in a movie, but I was just completely immersed in his performance here. Yeah, no, for sure. Green Goblin, for sure. But he's he's someone that I've, I've watched a lot more movies with him in them uh, this year than I ever have before, I believe. And he's he's a he's a fantastic actor and a lot of talent. Um, but it, I, I love seeing him in movies. He's he, he's always a always a gem. Yeah, really. My only complaint with this movie and it's more indicative of just Hollywood at the time. Uh, honestly, even Hollywood now more than it is the movie itself, but just how whitewashed a lot of it feels. Um, mm. So, I mean, Jesus, you know, I, I love Willem Dafoe, uh, but he's pretty white. Uh, so is Harvey Keitel who's playing Judas. Um, so there's, there's a lot of very prominent white actors, but yet in the background, you do have a lot of uh, more location appropriate actors uh, playing the Jewish people and the Roman people there and the Arabic people that are all present within that story. Um, so the the white Jesus and, and a handful of the white disciples feel really out of place. Um, but again, I think that's more indicative of just how movies got made, particularly at that time. And yeah. even now, um, there's just unfortunately a tendency to lean more towards a white casting, even if it's not appropriate for the work. No, for sure. Um, 100%. I think that is, is something to, to note for sure. And definitely something that, I mean, it, it, it's with the times. And I think we, we, we've hopefully made progress since then. But 1980s, it is, it, it is a while back. And I'm, not, I'm not too surprised that you, that you point that out, especially with uh, Hollywood at the time. But yeah, overall, loved the movie. Would highly recommend it. Uh, just, just a great, a great movie. Yeah, thank you, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> Quickly, though, going back to American Psycho, I watched it, um, I think, a little over a year ago now for the first time. And I think maybe I felt the way you did. I did actually like it quite a bit. However, I didn't love it like I know that a lot of people do. However, over time, I, I think I've grown to appreciate it a little bit more. Um, maybe you will, too. But I, I, I did find Christian Bale's performance quite uh, hilarious, though. Yeah, I really like that. And I really like the dialogue in the movie. Um, I think, you know, probably one of the most famous scenes is where they're looking at all of the, the business cards. And, you know, it's just Christian Bale's internal monologue talking about the subtle off-white coloring and everything. Um, but I like just how deadpan yet over the top all, all the dialogue is and, and pretty much any scene in the movie. Um, just how the characters are interacting and talking to one another. Yeah, no, that... that... You're right. I think that's that's the best part of the film. And there's also one scene, especially with uh, Willem Dafoe and uh, Christian Bale. Do you remember the scene there when uh, he's he's kind of interviewing him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know because it's been a while since I've, I've read this uh, this little tidbit. I don't know if I'm 100 percent bang on, but I read that um, because I believe there are three different sort of cuts in that scene to Willem speaking or something like that. And um, they they. Or, or no, they they filmed three different uh, versions of the scene, where one where Willem is suspicious of him, one where he's not, and one where he's. Um, there, there was another thing in there, but apparently the the scene is actually a mix of all three, 
I don't know if you you noticed that at all. Yeah, it does seem a little off-putting at times because uh, Willem Dafoe seems to not necessarily become a different character, but just kind of jump a little bit in his performance. Um, but I think it builds with the un- I like I think it really builds off of the uneasiness in the scene and and kind of that whole uh, motif that runs throughout the film where you you're not quite sure if if Patrick is really talking to anyone or present in the moment or if it's something that's going on in his head. Um, but I, I think it pays off really well. Yeah, no, for sure. That's a that's a unforgettable scene for sure. So yeah, it, it's one of those things that you know it it also probably didn't help that it's a movie that I was very familiar with what was going to happen before going into it because it's right. such a part of the public consciousness um, that maybe if I had gone in blind I would have been a little bit more floored or you know if I had, had grown up seeing it and was watching it again maybe I'd feel differently but for now it was it was a good movie but nothing that I'd elevate to great yeah no that's that's good to know and it's one that me i'll probably have to revisit at some point too so uh yeah that that is my thoughts on american psycho and the last temptation of christ um i'm gearing up to watch lord of the rings the extended cuts this week been reading all of the books for about the past like a month and a half or so um and so i should finish this week and we'll uh, dive into all 13 hours of Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, that'll be good. That's something that I've, I've made up I've, I've planned uh, to do this summer, but I just haven't, uh, haven't done that yet. Like I, I think back in May, I said I would do it this summer, watch them all again. It's been several years since I have, I just haven't done it, but that's something I'm, I'm definitely going to have to uh, get done in August. Yeah, I've only seen the extended editions once, and that was when I was on uh, pain meds for my wisdom teeth, so I don't fully remember the majority of it, um, at least not the stuff I hadn't seen before in the regular editions, so this will sort of be a first time for me again, even though I've already seen them all. Yeah, and they're all on uh, Canadian Netflix right now, which is pretty uh, pretty um, uh, reasonable and pretty uh, easy for me to, to, to get to. Yeah, it's it's... It's a very it's not something I grew up with, um, but it's always just like a big highlight, whatever week of the year that I sit down to watch Lord of the Rings, um, just because it is just such an epic and, and just brilliantly impossible filmmaking that all came together. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's it's, it's kind of like lightning in a bottle in a way, especially after I mean, we went into it super in depth a few uh, weeks or maybe a month or so ago now about uh, everything with the Hobbit and stuff like that. But um, it is definitely lightning in a bottle. And uh, I mean, it's, it, it's earned its right to be called a classic. Yeah. So I will, I'll be back talking about those next week. We'll be back talking about an American pickle. I know Nick's excited for that one um, and whatever else we get into this past week. Uh, so remember, you can always check us out online at moviebeppel.com. And we'll be back talking about more movies and hopefully not talking about another release date for Tenet next week. 